0: Experiencing some doubt about whether the claims of Christ are really true? We hope you'll join us for Grow in Grace as doubters are welcome.
1: We know intuitively because God built us. It's a setup for us to have a relationship with Him. Well, God plays unfair. That's why they call Him God. (laughs) He gets to do whatever He wants and He wants you to be with Him in eternity. That's what this is all about. God wooing you, drawing you. He said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you look for me, you'll find me. And he always keeps his promises.
0: Zion I built with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, And with that, we welcome you to another edition of Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray will be in John chapter 20 today, so you might want to find your place there now. After Jesus died on the cross and was raised to new life, he made a special reappearance on earth to prove that he was alive. We observed his visit with Mary and John and Peter last time, and now he moves on to a few others. And one of them had some trust issues as we'll soon discover. Something that many struggle with today to some degree. Let's pick up the story at verse 19 of John chapter 20.
1: On the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, Easter Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. Again, as the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins, they are retained. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side I will not believe. Hmm, <laughs> pretty sure. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors were shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger over here, Bubba. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's in the original language. here. <laughs> And look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He got it. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you are believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You and I, we haven't seen him. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the Gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe and that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life, eternal life in his name. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gifts that you give us. And one of them is eternal life. Help us to wrap our mind around that, to understand that here this morning. changes, so that we might be different when we leave this room. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This section, you might be able to sum up with the statement, doubters are welcome, that God welcomes people that are still working their way through this idea of that Jesus is God, and it's okay. And in fact, I think it's necessary for everybody to work through that. And for some people, it takes a long time coming, and then there's a little bit of growth, and then a little, and then a little. And then finally, there's this tipping point that you reach where you go, oh yeah, I get it. And for others, they just come, I have a friend who's a well-known pastor and and he tells me, I can't tell people when I got saved. I I grew up in a Christian home. My mom read me Bible stories, prayed with me every night and I just made a decision to follow God. It just happened in my life. Well, that isn't the way it happened with me. I was a lot more like Thomas than anyone else in the Bible. I'm not gonna believe unless I can touch him. (laughs) So doubters are welcome here in this church but also in the kingdom of God. And I dare say all of us are in a process of growing closer to God, and for some it's still a long-distance call, <laughs> and for others, you're closer. You're getting closer all the time. So I was reading the story as mom, reading to her kids the story of the three little pigs, right? And so the first one is looking for straw, and so he walks up to a man. She's got her kids, youngest, is a kindergartner, sitting around. She said, and so he he walked up to a man and he said, sir, can I have some of your straw? I needed to build my house. And she said to her kids, what do you think the man said? And her kindergarten raised said, I know, I know, mom. He said, holy smokes, a talking pig, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very honest answer. That's the way I would have responded. You know, it would have changed my whole idea about pigs. <laughs> so, miracles. John, the writer of this, he talks about the miracles that Jesus did. In fact, he says they're signs, S-I-G-N-S. Signs are an interesting picture of reality. They lead us towards reality. The sign isn't reality. It's just pointing to something that's a greater reality. A sign up the street says the I-10 freeway. It's not the I-10 freeway, but it represents that crazy place that we all drive out there where our prayer life is growing all the time. So signs point to a greater reality. And John says the miracles of Jesus were done for that, that it would point us to a greater truth, a greater reality. So this day has already gone on for a while that we're breaking into the story with. And you'll remember the Mary comes to the tomb early in the morning, still dark. And she comes with some other ladies and they were surprised to see that the stone was rolled away. And they walked up and looked in and and they left not believing. Mary came back later, it says, and she saw a guy standing there, thought it was the gardener. And she walks up to him and says, what would you do with the body? She's looking for a body. She's not looking for a resurrected Jesus. She saw him dead watched him put it in, put him and his body in the grave. So she said, what'd you do with the body? And he turns, it's Jesus, and he says, Mary or Miriam. And something in his tone of voice, something personal between her and him, she said, my Lord and my God. And she hits the dirt and grabs his heels. And he said, Mary, Mary, back off. (laughs) I haven't yet gone to heaven. She was the first unbeliever. She came not believing that he had risen from the dead. She says he's not alive. But then she met him. The same thing would happen later when Peter and John hear from her that the grave is empty and Jesus has risen. Well, they run to the grave and Peter is second because John's younger and and lighter and Peter's a little heavy in his feet. But John runs and looks in and it says, and he looked and he saw and he backed out. He didn't believe, different Greek word. Peter comes and he looks in and he sees the cloth, the way it's laying. Evidently the body had just lifted up through the wrappings, you know, like a cocoon. And it wasn't unwrapped, it was just, it came up. And he saw the the head cloth that they put around the face. And he believed, but he was unbelieving up to that minute. And the case I'm making is that we'll see as we go through this section that everybody started out as an unbeliever. They knew he had died, but they didn't believe that he had risen from the dead. Miracles, they're peppered throughout the gospel. There's 36 of them, if you take some time to count Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 36 of them that are described in detail, but there's a whole lot more that we're not told exactly how they worked. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, it says And when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word. And healed all who were sick. All? That's a very intriguing statement. How many is all? We're not told. Mark chapter 1, almost the same thing, verse 13. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. How many is a many? Is it 50? Is it 75? Is it 100? Dr. Luke writes in Luke chapter 4, verse 40. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them all. So the Gospels talk about these specific miracles, but there were maybe thousands, he fed thousands of people. That was a miracle. But the biggest miracle is the one we're looking at. That Jesus foretold his death, how he was going to die, how he was going to be buried, who the criminals would be on the cross with him, all of it in advance. So when it happened, the disciples, that's where we're coming into the story, are blown away by it. And they don't believe that he rose from the dead. He said he was going to after three days. It's three days. But they, like the rest of humanity, often doesn't. We don't come believing. We come as skeptics. Now, that's a whole story in itself. Why? Why are we cynics? Why are we holding back? I've talked to I don't know, maybe a thousand people over the years. Everybody has a story when they're Not a Christian, I'm just bold enough to say, well, why not? And they'll tell you the story. And maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a priest, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a teacher in school, maybe it was a neighbor who said they were Christians, but then they did something, molested or something really just completely off the wall. And so something triggers in them that says, I'm never going to believe in a Christian again. Oh, they say they act so pious, but they're not the real deal. Now, if you're visiting for the first time, you're going, what is this guy talking about? We try and be real here, okay? <laughs> and so people are struggling with that, and they come. Why would they even come to church if they have been through that? Because God put inside them and inside you eternity. It says God has put eternity in our heart which, Ecclesiastes says, we know, even though we may not say it, we know this is more, there's more to life than this. There's something besides just living, getting up, eating, going to work, coming home. We know intuitively because God built us. It's a setup for us to have a relationship with him. Well, God plays unfair. That's why they call him God. (laughs) He gets to do whatever he wants, and he wants you to be with him in eternity. That's what this is all about. God wooing you, drawing you. He said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you look for me, you'll find me. And he always keeps his promises. So we're looking at doubters here. And we'll see, I just talked about two of them, Mary and then Peter and John.
0: This is Grow in Grace with our pastor and teacher, Ed Ray. And we're covering John 20 today. Here's Pastor Ed with the second half of our message.
1: We're going to see that there's three parts of this. In verse 19, it starts, the 10, 10 of his apostles, I mean, we're talking the closest guys to him, they don't believe. None of them do. And then the holdout because remember Judas is gone by now so the only guy left is Thomas and people have for centuries have been calling him doubting Thomas well and then he challenges us the writer John that we would believe so that's where we're going fasten your seatbelts we'll go kind of quickly I just love Doyle Dykes and you know I'm a guitar player I just gave up guitar playing that last song I've decided I'm going to start taking a flute or maybe ukulele or something (laughs) I think he's from another star system I don't think he's human okay so first of all verse 19 then the same day resurrection Sunday first day of the week when the doors were all shut and in the Greek language it means continually it's a perfect tense it means they were shut locked and they stayed that way all the way through this story The disciples were assembled. They all came together for fear of the Jews. They didn't come for a prayer party. This was not a prayer meeting. They were there because they were afraid. The same thing's about ready to happen to them that happened to Jesus. Roman soldiers are going to break through, put us in chains, and hang us up on crosses on top of Golgotha. So for fear of the Jews, not because they believed, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Pop! All of a sudden. Now, that had to be a little bit disquieting. You know, you're sitting around at a table with a bunch of guys. There's an empty chair. And you talk to the guy on your left. And suddenly you look, there's Jesus. He doesn't announce, you know, there's no trumpet blast. I'm coming. No, he just shows. So suddenly he's there out of nowhere. He's in the middle of them. And I love he says to them, peace. (laughs) Because I'm thinking they're all (laughs) freaked out. Now, those of you who have been to Israel, and I see several of you here, you know that the greeting, the common greeting in Hebrew in Israel is shalom, which means peace. But it actually is bigger than that. It means peace with God, walking with God. And literally, it means back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. That's what Adam did, right? He he walked every night with God. And so, um, Jesus is saying to them, shalom aleichem which is peace to you. Well, they needed peace because they were freaked out. And when he had said this, he showed his hands and his side. And you remember, he's pierced to a cross. And those of you that were here at Good Friday, you know, I showed pictures of a, a 20-something-year-old man that had been crucified and how they'd nailed him. And they, they found his skeleton just a few years ago in Jerusalem. Very cruel, you know, they... It, we even still use that word in the English language, excruciating pain. That comes from being crucified. So he showed us the place where the nails went in and where the, the spear, they used a spear to finish off the victims on the cross. Got tired of waiting, so they, goes in under the rib cage, goes up and hits the pericardial cavity, and you bleed to death very quickly. So, he shows them and they were glad they were excited they said oh but but notice they didn't believe until he showed them the wounds he shows up he's there in their midst but they still didn't believe they had to see him and they had to see the scars before they really believed and that's an encouragement to us now we live in a society where everyone's a cynic I I think it is part of who we are. We have exchanged clergy for priests who wear white lab coats. Now I say that a little tongue in cheek because I am a scientist, still licensed biochemist. But we look to science to answer all our questions. That's really naive, <laughs> because scientists are just like you and. We're wandering around trying to figure out how this thing works, this body, this life, this earth, chemistry, physics, all that sort of stuff. Well, I was, maybe you saw this week that there's an outbreak of polio in uh, Bahrain. And it's also in South America. Why? Because people after COVID don't trust vaccines anymore. And so they're not allowing their children to get the salt vaccine. Most of you know that name. His name was Jonas Salk. He's a biochemist, brilliant man who came up with the first working polio, and it saved countless lives. I mean, tens of thousands. We know polio leaves a lot of kids crippled. It locks up your lungs. You can't take a breath. Your diaphragm is locked in, and you suck. So Salk did something that nobody else could do. They were trying to build a vaccine to keep these kids from dying in the 50s. 1952, he comes out with a vaccine that's built on dead viruses. You see, poliomyelitis is common. And so all the ones they tried to... Usually they attenuate... You don't need... I'll give you the short version. <laughs> Normally, vaccines, they just hurt the virus. Okay, they, it's called attenuation. It's crippled, you know. It's unable, it's handicapped it can reproduce, it can cause, it can trigger in you your immune system to build antibodies to it. But it didn't work with the polio vaccine. And so he was the first one to say, I'm gonna use dead ones. We're gonna kill all the viruses, take a chunk of virus and stick it in a person and see what happens. He did himself first and it worked. He built an immunity. And all the other, I mean literally all the other scientists said he was a quack that's not the way you build a virus to stop an, a pandemic, and you need to use a live virus. He said, no, I'm using a dead one, and it works. And so all during his life, I'm not talking about the first two or three years, 1952 is the first time he gave to himself this uh, you know little sugar cube cube you remember and some of you are old enough to remember most of you've going what's he talking about sugar cubes that's how they gave it the vaccine so it was a lot better than a shot and it was bribery for the kids actually but it worked <laughs> and so people are saying you know he's a complete quack and you know you think it's been weird with COVID it was completely 100 percent worse with the polio vaccine so. Anyway, it's success and more and more kids are getting it and all of a sudden the death rate goes to the bottom and they have to admit they believed him. He wrote about it right before he died and he wrote this, it's called the nature of unbelief and skepticism but it works for what we're talking about. He said, first people will tell you that you're wrong, just plain wrong, it won't work, then They will tell you, well, you are right, but what you're doing really isn't important. And then after it's worked for a while, thirdly, they'll admit that you are right and that what you're doing is very important, but after all, they knew it all the time. (laughs) 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 So that's the way I was with Christianity. You know, that's not important. That'll never work to... Well, maybe it could work to, oh my goodness, there is a God, and he talks to me. What am I going to do about that? I've got to do something. So, unbelievers have stories, things that lock them up against Christianity, real issues. You know, they're not slight things. I'm, I'm saying I understand. You don't want anything to do with those crazy people who are religious then why are you here? Because God is calling you. He's pulling you. You're in the right place. We're glad you're here. That you don't come all the way yet, that's fine. But you need to because God says you have to have belief. You have to have trust. Same word. You must believe. You must trust. You must have faith. This is the way he says it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. But Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let me say it the same thing, slightly different way. Without belief, it is impossible to please him.
0: Thanks for joining us for Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're going through the Gospel of John together from start to finish. For a CD copy of today's message, just call 844 77 Grace. That's 844 77 Grace. Or you can listen online at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find an archive of past radio programs there, too, which comes in handy should you miss a message on the radio. Go to thepackinghouse.org and look for our radio page. You know, it takes a team to bring Grow & Grace to you, and we look to our listeners to help make all of this possible. We have an exciting resource to tell you about, It's True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. After serving the Lord as a pastor for many years, Francis began to wonder if Christianity really made a difference in people's lives. True spirituality, you could say, is the result of his effort to re-examine his faith. And if you want to discover what true spirituality looks like in everyday life, this is the book for you. We'll send you a copy when you support Grow in Grace today with a gift of any amount. And as you give, you'll be helping many others around the country and around the world to grow in grace as well. Just give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And we want to hear from you. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, whether it's a word of encouragement, a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in John's gospel with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is presented by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, I, I built with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the cripple stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.